Hey, everybody. <clears throat> Sorry. Here we are. It is Tuesday, the 22nd, 2016. This is the promotional more practice live chat here on MMAfighting.com. How are you today? It is two days before Thanksgiving. It is two days before Turkey Day. It is two days before you show up to a relative's house who has no idea how to cook turkey and you're forced to then eat their drywall that they call this bird because they don't have any idea how to properly cook it. So that's bad, but seeing friends and family is always good. Uh, today on the live chat, we will get to, let's see, how about uh, BJ Penn's going to return against Jair Rodriguez. That should be fun, or as my wife would call him, Jair. Uh, we have the return of Fedor Milianenko in February against Matt Mitrion. That'll be in Bellator. That's kind of interesting as well. We had a slew of results uh, over the weekend from Invicta to UFC events, Bellator as well. And, of course, CM Punk on my colleague Earl Hawani's MMA Hour saying he's going to be back in the UFC, which makes me want to go eat the aforementioned drywall that people call turkey. Uh, okay. Best place to get your questions in, of course, is going to be on the MMA Fighting Live thread, wherever this video is embedded. Um, and, of course, you can, comments turn green, get priority in about not exclusivity. And, of course, you can also get at me on Twitter, at SBN Luke Thomas, and you can use the hashtag chat rappers. All of these will work. Um, oh, by the way, here we go, since everyone's doubting me. Since everyone thinks that there's no such thing to these t-shirts, one Jeremy Botter, who should call himself Jeremy Hater thinks there are no t-shirts here we go let's do this shall we you want to see a quick peek at what they're going to look like a super quick peek here we go let's see okay we're just trying to figure out what color we want to go with here is a very quick peek at them see that there you go so you so you don't think that they're not real they are real. And the guy who did them is a guy who designs the artwork for the labels on um, craft brews, craft beers. Um, it does them for both the bottles and the brewery themselves and uh, is an unbelievable talent and is making these for us. So they should go on sale here uh, before Christmas. So in your face, Jeremy Botter. There you go. All right. With that out of the way, um, let us get to the housekeeping notes. By the way, this is the last chance I'm going to have to talk to you before thanksgiving my only request please don't drink and drive there's uber there's lyft there's your own two feet if you're going to go out make plans if you're going to stay in just stay in just don't get behind the wheel of a car that's the only thing i have to say about thanksgiving other than that trifling turkey you're going to have to just stomach through all right and with that out of the way i'm sorry about moving this to tuesday the mma beat will be tomorrow but you guys know how it works now with that done let us go to the tape all right that's a good question here what is your mount rushmore of annoying gym habits anything that people want to put on instagram is basically uh terrible but i'll get to that a little bit later uh invicta main event controversy hi luke what are your thoughts on the controversy in the avenger fight what steps should be taken next Tommy Hoholt said something about me? I haven't heard this. We miss. You missed me completely New York week. I know. We'll do another one for the Albany card. 
It's not the same and you know it. I know I fucking suck. Anything else? Uh, no. This one's pretty much wrapped up. Oh, Luke Thomas is fucking yoked now. There's that. Arms like tree trunks. See you tomorrow, fight fans! <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, so I actually went over this a little bit in the Monday Morning Analyst. It's an interesting result. If you guys didn't see it, Tanya Evinger got was defeated. She's going to be on my radio show today, so I want to talk about this. It was in the first round against a lady by the name of uh, Kunitskaya, I believe it's her last name. Anyway, she had framed up for an armbar after being taken down. Avenger takes her down immediately, moves right into side control, and Avenger pushes her against the fence. And against the fence, she frames with the armbar, and she had it pretty deep, but it wasn't really extended. Um, and in trying to beat it, Avenger kind of went to her knees first and then her feet. I'm not sure how advisable that was, but she probably has a system by which she defeats these kinds of things, and maybe that was very comfortable for her. But in any case, um, here's what she did, if you guys didn't see it. It's kind of weird. She doesn't stomp on Kunitskaya's face. That's not correct. But she does step on it and then applies pressure to her face. Like, you know, if you were trying to start a, a, a chainsaw or something, you would use one hand to hold it down and use the other hand to yank it back. That's what you would do, right? Or if you're trying to start a lawnmower, you would grip the handles together and then you would yank apart. That's kind of what she does. She pushes on the face and yanks it off. And the referee tells her to get, get the foot off her face. So I dug through the uh, unified rules. I dug through individual state um, commission rules. I can't find anything that says stepping on the face is incorrect. Now, obviously, stomps are illegal. We all know that under the unified rules. You can't stomp on someone. But she wasn't driving her heel. She just, she first of all, she had her knee on her jaw when she was kneeling. And then when she stood, she put her foot on her face. I suspect this is a very common thing that she does. I don't think this is the first time she had done it, and I bet it works really well for her in practice. That's not to say that would have been enough necessarily to defend the armbar because Kunis Guy was doing a really good job of keeping her hamstrings flexed and, and bending over the posture of Tanya Evinger. But um, but I, I, I tried to get in touch with Big John McCarthy. I haven't had a chance to clarify this. I can't say with definitive certainty. Um, I need to talk to someone who, like a Big John McCarthy, just to be sure any evidence and i've never heard that stepping on the face of someone is not allowed like for example if if you're tied up in some kind of 50 50 guard you of course cannot strike someone in the face with your heel but can you slowly walk your toes up to their face and then press it away as you're trying to let's say yank an arm or a leg or a grip free or something i'm pretty sure you can uh i've never heard that you can't do that so i I, I I don't understand how the referee can say that. So she takes it off, and then after a while there, once you're standing and you have nothing to put pressure on their face for, and not just putting pressure on her face to make it hurt, remember you're twisting their spine out of alignment a little bit there. That can also help your benefit or help your, help your cause. Um, once she lost that, she was dead to rights, basically. You'd already stood up. You'd already given the Kuniskaya whatever you need. So um, I'm not saying that putting the face – putting your foot on the face is the best defense, but it might be something that Evinger has really worked with over the years, and she got she got screwed on this one. There's no doubt about it. So um, I feel bad for her, and I guess, um, well, I shouldn't say there's no doubt about it, but there's a pretty strong doubt about it. But uh, we'll see what happens with that one. Uh, Tommy Toehold's hilarious. Do you wish Tommy Toehold would parody you on the show more? The first time he did was gold. Yes, he did. Uh that was when I had terrible allergies and didn't realize it. Uh, sure. I mean, nothing wrong with Tommy Toehold and nothing wrong with his parodies. They're great. The more he wants to do it, I'm not mad at it. I mean, I don't sit around and think about like, gee, I wish he'd do it more. But if he does, I'm not going to complain. He does great stuff. 
awesome. He had New York New York rig in there too. Gadelia's kick, Luke. How do you feel about Gadelia's controversial kick against Casey? So um, this was an interesting one. I had to go back and watch this from as many different angles as I could find. What you see from Gedalia is a couple of things. She doesn't just straight kick her in the face. She pivots the heel of the balancing leg. So almost like a question mark kick, but not, I mean, obviously it wasn't. But like the, some, of the, some of the initial setup. And then she throws. It doesn't really land here. Casey's kind of scooting in this way. She was going for like De La Hiva or like reverse De La Hiva or maybe just a single leg or a high crotch or something, some kind of entanglement there with the legs. And, but she was too far away to ever solidify. It looked, okay, so from the replay, it looks like a reverse De La Hiva now that I see it. And Casey, the, the kick is coming this way and Casey is already moving this way. So I think what happened was as it came, it missed here and hit kind of like here on the top of the head. No, it didn't cut her. That doesn't necessarily mean anything. And I don't know if she has a hematoma. It looks to me like it makes contact somewhere above the hairline here. Uh, Cab MMA obviously saying that she had forged it. You know, I think it's a poor translation, but that essentially that she was, you know, uh, going too far with it. Um, and I don't know. My, my thought is that clearly that was, you know, was she intentionally trying to commit a foul? I don't, whenever they say it's intentional, I'm not sure what they mean exactly. Intentional in what regard? Like you intended to throw an illegal kick consciously? Um, because you can, you can intend to throw a kick that's illegal and not be conscious of its illegality. But I think in either case, uh, she was trying to kick a downed opponent, whether she was sort of like in the zone or not in the zone, planned or not planned, whatever the case may be. Uh, I thought a point deduction was 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 worthy there, even if it didn't land quite on her face. It did seem to me to land above the hairline. That angle that's listed in this particular thread doesn't really communicate that all that well, but um, I, I wouldn't have been mad with a point being deducted. Boy, it really just goes to show you can eye poke, ball kick, commit, any grab the fence, any number of infractions, and there's really not much cause um for not doing it at least once or twice in about really truly um and people are like well referees are really hesitant to to do something about it this is on the referees to do more and that might be true but really to me it's another fundamental failing of the 10 point must system the referees are hesitant to do it because the impact of doing so is extraordinary y'all can see the train is moving this camera it's because the impact is extraordinary um, the impact of taking away a point is astronomical. So it's not merely like a referee's inability to make a clear judgment call about a clear infraction. It, they, they know uh, if they had a little bit more leeway, I bet you'd see these kinds of point deductions all the time. The problem is each one is so profoundly costly they don't want to be a part of how a bout is won or lost. And when you have the 10-point must system where one point deduction can have a profound effect on a fighter's winning or losing, on their career generally, on any number of different ways in which you want to label this, they don't want to get involved. So we can talk about, well, the 10-point must system can reasonably allow for either fighter to win, depending on how rules are interpreted and damage is interpreted and effective in grappling and cage control and everything else. So that leaves this enormous latitude for um, 
a wide cast of judgment. That's one problem with the 10-point must system. The other problem is that it's going to be hard to change technocratically because we have enshrined it into law. Uh, and another problem is it makes referees hesitant to get involved in clear rules and fractions because it then inserts them into the contest of winning and losing, of which they are loath to be a part. So there's a lot of problems with the 10-point must system. Let's never forget this is clearly one of them. You know, you can badger referees all you want about you should have done more here, and maybe you have a cause. I wouldn't. Have, I really believe a deduction would have been worth it there, but then there would have been this outcry from fighters saying, you know, do we really want referees having this much say in how a fight is won or lost? Someone says that kick should be allowed. Like we know it's not allowed, but it should be since they would allow an up kick to the head from the same position. Otherwise, the rules are manipulating the fight by putting the fighter in an advantageous position at a disadvantage. Not sure how I feel about that. Uh, today, I'm off the wagon. Okay, Connor versus Habib. Why are they not trying to make Connor versus Habib in Russia? If they did that, Connor would not have the Habib doesn't put in enough pay-per-views excuse anymore. Excuse me. Habib doesn't pull in enough pay-per-views excuse anymore. I don't think that's really the issue. It's about making money. Connor versus a broom would make money. Why are they not trying to make Connor versus Habib in Russia? Well, if they are having trouble doing it in Ireland, not merely for any curfew issue, to the extent that those are even relevant, Russia is going to be an even worse problem in terms of coordinating a time zone for a pay-per-view audience. That's why they can't do it in Russia. Um, Australia works because it's, you know, it's, it's 12 or 13 hour difference. So you can just, it's almost like that makes it easier. What time is it currently in Russia? Let's see. Current time in Moscow, because they wouldn't do it in Dagestan. Like that I can assure you. But it's 9.18 at night. So it's eight hours ahead. So you can imagine what that would entail for North American pay-per-view audiences where the, the majority of the Conor McGregor revenue is generated. That would not be good for them. I think that's the problem. Let's see about St. Petersburg. Same. Current timing. Yeah, same in Dagestan, too. Uh, yeah, it's zero degrees Celsius there today. So it just creates a lot of problems. Uh, even with six hours ahead, you could see they were really struggling to do that. It, it wouldn't exactly be clear how they could make maximized money doing that. Fight pass, no problem. Um, you know, recorded event to play on tape delay later might not necessarily make a lot of sense for pay-per-view revenue, but for like a TV product, Spike can do it, right? That's why they're able to put on a show in Tel Aviv, although it didn't garner necessarily a ton of um, interest. Uh, it, it just is not a great place if you're trying to ge generate revenue. It's just not from pay-per-view. This is why I can't wait for pay-per-view to die um, because it will make title fights much more mobile. Currently, as it's, I mean, it's good for Americans. It's good for North Americans that pay-per-view is still a king. It means all the big fights have to happen here for the most part, right? You can maybe put one in Manchester. But when pay-per-view dies and it doesn't matter anymore 
and digital streaming really sort of becomes a preeminent service if in fact that is the model that will eventually emerge but let's just say that it is um it will make it will make title fights ex much more mobile much more mobile um but right now they're sort of stuck on what will and won't work for these North American pay-per-view audiences and putting a title fight that you need to draw pay-per-view revenue from in Moscow or St. Petersburg, not going to work. True or false? Let's do these. Based on how she acted, Ronda wants no part of this upcoming fight and has been forced to talk into it. I don't buy that. False. There's more chance of McGregor submitting Habib than Habib knocking him out. Sure. I don't think either is particularly likely, but yes. Anderson Silva will receive a title shot before he retires. False. Well, okay, I mean, are we counting like injury replacement or something? Uh, John Jones is done with light heavyweight and will come back as a heavyweight. False. John Jones will receive a title shot in his first fight back. Probably true. CM Punk's next fight will be in the UFC. God, I cannot believe that. Cannot believe. I mean, I guess I can, right? They've got this debt they have to finance, but oh my God. And I made this point already before. Like, this is not, if you're a fan of CM Punk, you don't want him to fight in the UFC. You want him to fight his way up to the UFC. Because here he is enjoying these bright lights and these walkout and this media, and he's doing a service for the UFC. Let's be clear about that. He is, in fact, using his name to help generate, in particular case of UFC 203, revenue buys, media attention, the like. And then he goes out there and takes on a guy who are not even really sure what his level is. I mean, he's obviously a good fighter, but how good, we don't even really know. Um, certainly has not beaten anyone UFC caliber that we know of, and gets starched like handled and makes as i as i articulated uh in the monday morning analyst despite all of his fans being quite upset about it sorry guys facts are facts you want to compete in the ufc you're going to get ufc standards put upon you and boy did he fall short of them now certainly baby slice did too uh but baby slice decided to compete in bellator and took on a guy who was not particularly good uh or at least you know not good yet maybe he will be one day um so he gets a little bit of a break because Bellator is a clear step down, for the most part, uh, from UFC. But you want to be on UFC, and UFC main card at that. Okay. Uh, careful what you wish for. Uh, it just doesn't make any sense. And I understand why we're doing it. Will it sell? I am so tired. I'm so tired. I'm so tired. So sick and tired of the will it sell argument, as if this is some, like, defining, you know, metric of life, uh, as opposed to, like, is this a good idea? Um, what kind of quality will it produce? Um, what does it really say about what we're doing? Or is it even healthy for the people that we're doing it to? Right? None of these things apparently uh, uh, matter as much as they should in that kind of world. I, I'm sick of it. If he does it again, the UFC, you know, certainly I don't wish any harm upon him or anyone else. Um, someone asked me, like, don't you want to see him get knocked out? No, of course not. Why would I want to see him? Get You're going to watch UFC. You're going to see knockouts. You're going to see submissions. You're going to see any, you're going to get your dose of violence. I don't wish it upon him. I just don't want to see the UFC's standards torn. And everyone's like, oh, let's not protect the what, what, what the UFC doesn't have a good name. Let's, you know, why we want to protect the, you know, let's stop pretending something about the UFC that's not already true. And I'm thinking to myself, 
oh, you mean that organization that just sold for $4.2 billion that's going to have potential suitors uh, between ESPN, Fox Sports, and NBC Universal? That one? Uh, the one that unequivocally features the best talent and the most exciting fights with the highest level of skill? That one? Yeah, sure. On occasion, uh, more than I'm comfortable with, they often go outside of that rubric to deliver something. But just to say, well, they don't really have any standards. Oh, yes, they do. Oh, yes, they do. They will, on occasion, go outside of them for some kind of short monetary benefit. You know, James Tony got his one fight, and he's gone. For me, CM Punk got his one. Let's be done with it. But apparently, they have debt to finance, so they're going to go and do it again. Uh, it, it is... Um, it is a travesty. It is an absolute travesty. And someone was like, oh, I like it because someone on my Facebook page said this. They're like, I like it because it shows what real skill is all about. Folks, you don't need to eat at McDonald's to know Jose Andres is a good chef. Like, no one has to eat Chef Boyardee before they figure out Mario Batali can can cook well. You don't like the one does not one does not is not necessary to help the other one. I'd rather watch Iron Chef than McDonald's versus Mario Balotelli. That's just me. What am I saying? Balotelli? The soccer player? I might be getting it messed up. I'll stick to Jose Andres. Either way, Andres, if you don't like the honest pronunciation. Either way, uh, you know, you don't you don't need it. Like it doesn't uh I'd rather watch Iron Chef Bobby Flay versus Iron Chef uh, Garces than um, you know, we in this taste test, we gave fans a whopper. Uh and then Bobby Flay's filet mignon to see which one they liked better. You know, that Whopper was great, but I didn't really appreciate the filet mignon until I had the Whopper first. Okay. Uh, I'm a black belt. No, I'm not. Barbus voted for Trump. That's why he hasn't been on the chat recently. No, he hasn't been on the chat recently because he chewed up my socks and my biking glove. And I'm pissed at him. He's downstairs right now. Probably making sad faces. Bendo Chandler scorecard. Luke, how did you score the Chandler Bendo fight? Now, I wasn't scoring in real time, but my basic presumption is the following. If you wanted to give rounds two and five, especially five, of course, five you have to give to Bendo, I think. Um, two is debatable, which you can give it to him, but I don't see how you don't give him rounds one, three, and four to Michael Chandler. And if you want to give a round one at 10 8, not sure I would, but I wouldn't object to it too much. In other words, this is a case where I don't see how you can give three rounds to Ben Henderson. I really don't. I really, really don't see that. I don't understand that at all. Uh, arguably, you could give four rounds to Michael Chandler, if not if not at a minimum three, and even of those four. So it could go four rounds to Chandler, one being 10-8, all the way down to just three rounds, 10-9 for Chandler. But that, to me, seems like the acceptable range. I don't I don't understand how you can give a third or even a fourth. How do you give the fourth round or first round? I mean, second round, close. Third round, less close. Uh I don't get it. I don't get it at all. Uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, how would you grade it? Grade the fight? People were calling it like an instant classic. I mean, if it's four rounds to one. It's not much of an instant classic. It wasn't like it was 2-2 two -two heading into the fifth. It was like 4-1 or 3-1 heading into the fifth. And then Henderson clearly won the fifth. Um, seven or an eight? I thought it was a good fight. Uh, but I didn't feel like... If people were like, this was like Lawler Condit. No. Wasn't that good? I mean, I hope I'm not hating too hard. I did like it, but I had Chandler on the show yesterday. And I asked him the same thing, and he was like, "I don't know how you score that." I mean, of course, they're always going to say that, but I, it, he, you know, 
he even said like when they announced that it was a split decision like so-and-so for chandler so-and-so for henderson he was like oh my god i got a split decision coming up against benson henderson i'm about to lose this title and then of course he didn't but um he was certainly worried about it but uh i will say this about benson henderson like he did lose that fight but he looked good for the most part i mean he was getting wrecked in the first round but he ended strong the only thing he said that i thought chandler made a good point was like two things one Benson Henderson. We talked about Tony Ferguson wearing damage. Man, Benson Henderson. We need to start considering this. We need to start considering who wears damage well. And we need to think about it a lot more closely, especially in fights against guys who are highly offensive, like a Michael Chandler, because he just doesn't show damage, man. His eyes never swole up. He never gets a fat lip. Um, he never He never has these major lacerations. Nothing, man. Nothing. It's crazy how he's able to do that. He doesn't bruise easily. And then you got a guy like Michael Chandler who his face looks mangled by the time a fight is over, even if he's winning. He wears damage poorly. We need to start thinking about that, I think, as a consideration in, um, you know, if the fight gets tight, is this factor in play? And I think for Benson Henderson, it's routinely in play. That's one thing. The other thing is, um, and he mentioned this, he was like, you know, when the fight was over, this is Michael Chandler. He said, like, when the fight was over, he was done. He was absolutely done. He didn't have another ounce of energy to give. You know, he had just finished this, the wind sprints with as much push as he could possibly give them. And then Benson Henderson, it was over, and he was still full of energy. And he was like, you know, if you had that energy, why didn't you use it? Now, I know Benson Henderson was trying to find the right offensive opportunity. It's not just about expending energy per se, but, you know, if these fights are close and you know you can do a little bit more, maybe do a little bit more. But, man, Benson Henderson, he, you know, he's hard to hurt. He's hard to choke. And even if you land on him, his face doesn't show it. Uh, I think this has been – we've often talked about what's it, what is it about his style that makes judges lean his way. Maybe that's not the relevant consideration. Maybe the relevant consideration is it's not his style. It's that it doesn't look like he's ever hit. It's crazy. Uh, Combat Jiu-Jitsu. I saw your interview with Eddie Bravo the other day, and I was curious what your thoughts are on the concept of Combat Jiu-Jitsu, like he plans to use during the EBI Super Matches. Um, so, yeah, the big holdup there, someone kind of rightly notes it, is that the Athletic Commission wants to oversee it and he doesn't want to put it in a cage with ebi because as his as he points out if you put it in a cage it looks like weak mma and what he's trying to do is show strong jujitsu you know it looks like a lesser version of mma that's not what he wants to do so he's still trying to get it worked out where he doesn't have to have it in a cage i think that's i think in fact he did get it but whatever the case may be um i'm curious to see what it looks like i don't really have a super strong opinion about it other than to say i'm excited to see what it might look like and what it might do um well, i think we need to see it play out before we have a really strong understanding of how it could affect things but um i'll say this i like that he's innovating i'm curious and this is i think an important development in jujitsu if this can really have an effect on um how jujitsu is taught and how guys train for it and what it teaches us about certain positions if it can go that far maybe this is a really valuable teaching tool that we need to incorporate into mixed martial arts. I don't know that that's the answer, but I have a very open mind about it. I'm excited about the possibility. I'm glad there's someone out there like Eddie Bravo trying to innovate. 
And I guess we'll see where we go from here. Should also be noted there's guys like um um Javier. My wife is chopping something. Let's see. Javier Vazquez. He's got a combat jujitsu system as well, where even with the gi or without the gi, where it involves strikes or understanding positions where strikes are involved, either from pros or from amateurs, just ways you can be hit, how to avoid it. Um, he's got a whole teaching system as well, and I'm sure he's not alone. I'm sure there's other ones as well. In other words, I think that there's this latent, quiet, dormant industry of guys who are good at jujitsu who have thought conceptually about how strikes could and can be involved. And it's different from MMA because you're forcing guys to grapple with each other. You know, I don't know. And I don't know an EBI system. Can, can you win via strikes? You know, if a guy is just not responding and you're pounding on him, does, I don't know how that would work. So I think there's some things you have to iron out, but, um, I I'm hopeful for it. I'm hopeful for what it could mean and how it could change things. And, um, what it could do for jiu-jitsu. I really believe that jiu-jitsu is really great. I feel like these guys who are doing it today are better than the previous generation, but I also believe that there is just a lot missing in terms of its value and applicability for mixed martial arts. You know, If you're not studying barambolos uh, and you want to compete at the highest level, you're going to get snatched up real quick. You know, And I feel like the kind of thing that Habib Nurmagomedov does, which of course is not jiu-jitsu per se, but you know, grappling, he he trains with you know Vieira at AKA by the way uh, Leo Vieira. Um, I feel like that's more the future. Teaching takedowns, rides, passing, positional control, incorporating strikes throughout. You know these police holds where you're compromising someone's balance and contorting them. Um, I feel like that's more the future than let's do a meow reverse De La Hiva. You know. Let's invert off of our shoulders underneath and then take the back, you know, and then try some bow and arrow choke or whatever the case may be. Like, obviously, you can't without a gi or you know, mostly can't without a gi. But you know what I mean? Like that kind of approach to the game. It just feels like you knew if I could strike you that this would be re irrelevant. And obviously, there's a value in jujitsu that doesn't involve strikes. But I would like to see jujitsu. I don't want to see it necessarily sub out barambolos because barambolos, and I'm using it as an example. There are other problems as well. But from Barambolos, because that is part of the innovative process and you want to keep that creative process going. Like, I don't like the worm guard, but I like where the worm guard comes from and where the worm guard may take us. But I believe another wing should be developed that involves strikes. And I want to see that brought to light. I want to see that developed. I want to see where we, let's start innovating there too. And I believe we've only scratched the surface. So if guys like Javier Vasquez and Eddie Bravo can take us there, then we're in good shape. You know, or we're going to be in better shape anyway. Someone says BJJ is supposed to be about combat in the first place. The sport version has taken over, though. It's super fun and the best exercise in the world, but the combat side of BJJ is getting lost. Let me tell you something. They say something about BJJ training. It's not the best exercise in the world. It wasn't for me, and it's not for me. And I really sort of object to that. A lot of people are like, oh, I took jiu-jitsu and I lost weight. That's amazing. Um, and maybe your particular school is good about doing this, or maybe it's not. I don't know. Here's what I would say. If you're not, depending on who you are physically, and depending on what your school does, there's obviously a number of variables here and what your goals are too. 
But I would say if you're a serious student, which I would say is someone who consistently year over year shows up three or more times a week, and maybe you compete occasionally, I would call that a pretty serious student, you know, obviously there's degrees of that way above that, but you get the idea. Um, if you do that kind of thing and you know, you're not one of these like supernatural athletes, cause I can tell you I'm not, and you're not lifting weights of some variety, you're messing yourself up because there is no sub cardio does there's exercise science teaches us basically that cardio doesn't really do anything for you in terms of injury prevention, but strength training does. Now, some schools are really good about incorporating strength training into their BJJ curriculum. Some are quite poor at it. Some mix the two together in these haphazard, like almost um, hazing kind of rituals. That's not real strength training. You guys laugh about it and you say, I'm it's crazy and I shouldn't talk about it. If you're not out there and you train, if you train BJJ and you're not, and there's different ways to train these things, understand there's not one program, there's all different kinds of programs for different results, and you're not deadlifting and I truly mean that, and you're not squatting, bench press you don't need to do. But let's say cleaning, right? The cleaning and the jerk. If you're not doing some of those things, you're messing up. You're messing up. BJJ will get you a tight core for the most part, but it won't really get you that kind of full strength that you need that incorporating the deadlift into your body will get you. Like Everyone's like, oh, I do BJJ. That's all I do. That's good if you're Marcelo Garcia. Okay, maybe he can get away with it. Obviously, this rule does not apply to everybody. But I think a cardinal mistake that a lot of grapplers make is they go, I'm just going to do BJJ for my fitness. I don't recommend that. I sincerely do not recommend that. I incorporate at least two to three times a week incorporating some kind of um, powerlifting routine. Don't do curls for the girls. Nobody cares about that. But um, some kind of real functional powerlifting routine into your BJJ. That, to me, mixing the two is an optimal split. Uh, BJJ is about avoiding strikes, getting the first to the ground, punishing the guy, then choking him out. Hickson used to beat the S out of guys before choking them. They call it ground and pound today, but he was brutal with it. I'm personally looking forward to seeing what EBI does. It's open palm strike should be fairly safe for the fighters. I agree. I agree. Gastelum suspension. Luke, how do you feel about Kelvin Gastelum's six-month suspension? Um, let me see. I could have sworn that was just administrative and they're trying to get around it. Let's see. see. My boy, Mark Ramundi reported on this, right? Uh, New York state athletic commission has administratively suspended Gastelum for six months because he did not attend the weigh-ins November 11th before UFC 205. Gastelum was supposed to face Donald Cerrone. An administrative suspension is different from a typical suspension in that it does not have to be reciprocated by other jurisdictions. So Gastelum is definitely unable to compete in New York over the next six months, but other commissions can allow him to fight. Gastelum has not been suspended by the Association of Boxing Commissions, according to the database, blah, 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 blah. So I don't know that it necessarily means anything for not showing up to the weigh-in. Um, I'm of two minds of it. Look, if these guys were told you have to do it or you're going to get the suspension and they just blew it off, then... You know, it's hard to have a great deal of sympathy, but another part of me feels like this commission, like a lot of commissions, are absolutely heavy-handed because they have to have a show of force. They got to let you know who the boss is, and uh, they're just doing this, um, you know, as to poke them in the eye. But if it's an administrative suspension and the other commissions don't feel the need to reciprocate it, then ultimately I don't really care all that much, you know. 
Uh, this question was emailed to me. So I put it here uh, for you guys to take a look at, and you got 12 recs, so that's a lot. Um, he says, quote, I don't know if this is true, but I'm just going to read what he wrote. Joe Rogan on one of his recent podcasts mentioned that RDA had an extremely tough weight cut before his title fight with Eddie Alvarez. He said that he heard RDA went unconscious during the weight cutting process and was unresponsive for three minutes. I know a lot of behind the scenes people, much more than what is revealed to the public. So I thought I'd ask you to see if RDA's weight cut for this fight had anything to do with him leaving King's MMA. I have not heard that. I'm not saying that's not true, but that's not what I've heard. Have you heard anything about him being unhappy about how the Kings MMA did things regarding weight cuts and caring for the health of the athletes? Um, RDA has been very quiet about this. I think they've spoken a little bit about this off the record, but on the record, I can't get anyone to say that. But I think it's a fair suspicion. And if, in fact, um, that's what happened, I can understand why he'd be a little bit upset. That still doesn't answer the question about whether or not the place where he went to from King's MMA, this sort of like hodgepodge of um, people he's put together is an upgrade over what he had before, but you get the idea. Donovan's Luke, do you think Suga will ever fight again? Yes. By hook or by crook, they're going to find a way for him. They're going to find a way. I don't know when. <laughs> I don't know how. Let me just say something about this. I have, uh, in talking with members of his team uh, and the folks in the know, or at least the folks who claim to be in the know, they don't really believe this is a substantive medical issue. I don't know why the Ontario Athletic Commission passed on this, and everyone's like, we shouldn't diminish the reality, the, the challenges. of This is the gym I go to, by the way. Um, this is their shirt. I just actually randomly put it on. Um, I swear. Um they 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 maintain that it is a nothing issue. Um, I have not been told exactly what that nothing issue is enough to give you a great detail about it, but they're adamant to me that it's not anything substantive. So you might ask, well, if that's the case, why did the Ontario Athletic Commission um, do what they did, where they didn't allow him to fight there? I'm of two minds of it. So either they're not telling me the complete truth, and this is way more of a medical issue than they're letting on, and uh, uh, New York, in conjunction with Ontario, are both discovering there are real medical issues that need to be addressed, or certainly they're sufficient for them not granting him a license. That's one possibility. The other possibility, though, and I think we need to take this, I don't know if seriously, but we can't rule it out. One wonders if Nevada, or excuse me, so New York catches something on the MRI or something they don't like. And we know, look, this is the place where they were costing fighters $10,000 worth of blood work. You know, they, they are, we're talking about uh, this climate of fear where they have this million-dollar insurance policies and the whole nine, right? They're being very careful about what, who they allow to put. I mean, they're, they're literally passing regulation to get combat sports out of New York. Not completely, but enough where it makes it very difficult for anyone who can't afford the very best kind of medical care to put on a show. That's the, that's the greater context here. And so part of me wonders if this might be a little heavy handed from New York, but okay. Semi understandable. Um, and the UFC went right over to Ontario and said, Oh, we'll just do it there. One wonders if Ontario also felt like, um, we don't want to be the place where and I'm not accusing the UFC of commission shopping. They wanted to rebook the fight. 
again, Rashad Evans's team is saying this is fine. You know, they're not they're they're tr- they're they're trying to make a fight that card needs it. Like I have no problem with them moving that fight. I don't consider this the same thing as New York saying to Margarita, we're not going to make this fight here in New York. And that was the old New York, not even the new New York. And that was the one that had no problems. And then they go to Texas and Texas is like, yeah, no problem. That's commission shopping. This to me didn't feel like commission shopping. At least not nearly to the same extent. And uh, I, I wonder if Ontario didn't want to be the new Texas where, you know, you can just come to us and we'll just license you when the other state says no. Um, I don't know that to be the case. I am not asserting that to be the case. All I'm simply saying is everyone is like, this must be a serious medical issue. And in fact, it very well may. We lack certain information. All I can tell you is his team does not believe it to be one. You saw Rashad Evans on Twitter saying, I'm telling you, I'm gonna, I'm not going to retire. I'm fine. Um, we'll see if that's ultimately true. But um, all I'm saying is do not discount the possibility that optics play a role here. That the commission in Ontario, in any other circumstance, probably would allow this. But in this one, coming out of New York and being rejected... They don't want to uh, be the place where promoters go when they can't get licensed elsewhere for health and safety reasons. Um, even if that's not really what's happening here, you know, what's happening here is that maybe, maybe, maybe what's happening here is that New York went overboard, and they're like, okay, well, we'll just move it to a place that has a normal, healthy standard, and they were like, mm, we'll see. We'll have to just wait. Uh, Fedor at Bellator. What are your thoughts on Fedor signing with Bellator? His fight with Mitrion, which I believe is a dangerous one, his potential upcoming matchups. Granted, Chael beats Tito and Fedor wins. It wouldn't surprise me if Chael would jump in to fight him. I, either way, which way, Bellator is looking a lot more interesting now, huh? This is a super interesting one uh, because I saw a lot of fans being like, I don't really care about Fedor. And I, I believe them and I don't believe them. So on the one hand, I absolutely do believe them that, look, Fedor is not, Fedor used to be must-see TV, right? When he was on, uh, when he was fighting Brett Rogers, man, I was, I remember that was a big deal, man. When he made his way over to, to strike force out of affliction and stuff, when he beat Arlovsky, that was a big deal. If you were any kind of an MMA fan, you had to be there for that, you know. Um, now he's not, you know, fighting Matt Mitrione is not must-see TV. However... I think a lot of the fans who are saying, well, this is, you know, who cares about Fedor? You know, to your point, Luke, he's not must-see TV anymore. Yeah, maybe he's not must-see TV, but he's definitely would watch if I could TV, right? He is definitely not the ratings juggernaut he once was. He is definitely not the fighter he once was. He just isn't the attraction he once was. But like Kimbo Slice, who had a thousand second lives in mixed martial arts, Fedor Emelianenko is going to have a thousand second lives too. Um, if Kimbo Slice can have a million of them, so can Fedor. And... I think he'll do great ratings on Spike. Um, I actually think it's a pretty competitive fight because Matt Mitrione, I'm sure, wants to win this fight, but he's not going to go in there thinking, okay, I got to take this guy down. I got to pass his guard. I got to work from half guard. I got to make sure I get this underhook. I got to work on my elbows. Like, he's probably just going to go in and be like, look, I definitely want to win this fight, but I'm going to win this fight by slugging it out with him because that's the way I want to win this. And if it means that I lose, then it means that I lose. Like, there's an acceptance that losing is a component here. Not that they want that to happen, but they're willing to take it to compete a certain way. I mean, I can't speak for Matt Mitrione, but that's my hunch. So I think it'll be actually a pretty exciting fight for however long it lasts. And Mitrione, I think, stands a pretty good chance, right? If Fabio Maldonado can win, um, I don't see why I don't see why Matt Mitrione couldn't. Um, who, you know, I mean, they're different fighters, but uh, Mitrione's still infinitely better than Fabio Maldonado. 
Uh, although Javier Maldonado obviously takes a tremendous shot. So um, it all depends uh, in terms of that. But um, I ultimately believe that uh, – what's, what's, what's the nature of the question here and what this means for potential upcoming matchups? I don't know. What if he loses to Mitrion? What if he loses to Mitrion? And what does that say? Um, I'm not sure. And would that be the end? You know, um, I don't know. What I can say is, you know, would they try to do a chill fight? Maybe. Would they try to do a Tito fight? Who knows? Any of those things are possible. I will say it's, uh, I mean, this, I don't know how this doesn't close the door on any kind of UFC return. And I will say this too. I think it was a point I was sort of alluding to previously. I didn't quite stutter through enough. Um, I remember when he came back when it was I was at the Dynamite show, and it was like, oh, he's going to sign with Bellator, and they went and signed with Risen or Ryzen or whatever. There was still a lot of interest in him. And again, I still think, like, even with the a lot of fans being like, ugh, I don't care, he will do great ratings on Spike. How big? I don't know. Will he beat Kimbo? I don't know. But, you know, he'll, he'll do well. But... um Fans, I think, are at least starting to come around to the idea that these guys do hit an expiration date. And when they do, um, it's just fundamentally a lesser thing that you're looking at. Not as a person, of course, but as a product. Um, it's it's just a lesser thing. Like, I remember when I was, I was, I think when Fedor was going to come back, I was like, Ugh, who really cares about this? And it was rumored he might fight in the UFC. People were like, I would love to see Fedor. And I was like, why? For what? What is it you want to see, man? Like, it's pretty clear. It's been clear since 2011, this guy was no longer a top heavyweight. Like, when Bigfoot smashed him to pieces, like, it, it, it's been clear since then, you know. Um, if not, you know, the Verdun fight, you can be like, well, whatever. But since that Bigfoot fight, like, he just got worked over. Um, and our fans are only starting to come around to it now. Like these, that Maldonado loss was kind of devastating for his stock, but I guess against my point, as I just mentioned, um, he's going to do quite well. I just, I guess my only point is that like, I remember when I was like the only guy out there being like, I don't know if I really want to see all this. And now I feel like there's a lot more people saying that this time around, this time around, people are a little bit like, uh, mm. You know, is this really what we want to see? But in the end, I do think, I'll admit, I'll admit, well, however much verbal skepticism emanates from the hardcore community, I don't think it means nothing, but I don't think it means enough to actually turn Fedor into a ratings dud. And I will say that Scott Coker's ability to get deals with these guys pays dividends down the road, you know? It's sort of funny that like the UFC is the place that has fighter insurance and ultimately on average higher income and is generally, um, you know, a better chance of getting your name known, right? There's a lot of reasons why you would want to sign with UFC over Bellator, but Scott himself has this reputation, less Bellator, but certainly Scott himself has this reputation as a fighter's promoter. Um, and I think it's these kinds of things, his ability, Scott just doesn't mind being leveraged basically. Um, making deals with guys on terms that UFC necessarily wouldn't, you know? And I think that in this particular case, that pays dividends. Like in the loss of Kimbo, and they would need to, they would want to sign, you know, Fedor anyway, but it, it, they lost, remember when Kimbo died, they lost the biggest Bellator star ever. They had to replace that in some capacity. And I don't know how long Fedor's going to be able to do this, but um, he at least serves that kind of function in, in, in some capacity.
BJ Penn versus Yair Rodriguez. How do we go from Dennis Seaver to Yair Rodriguez? Man, this is a really interesting one, isn't it? I was one of these guys who at first was like, I didn't mind the Dennis Seaver fight, and I'm not sure why I didn't. Because my, but I guess my thought was, okay, here, let's take a step back. Why are they making this Yair Rodriguez fight, or as my wife would say, Jair? Why are they making the Jair Rodriguez fight versus uh, Penn? Okay, seems pretty clear, right? Looks to me like they have a strong belief in Rodriguez and what he can do. Young guy, 24 years old, um, going to be hard to take down, going to be hard to hold down, and on the feet, he's just probably going to light BJ up. That's at least probably the thinking. So here's what we'll do. We'll take a guy who's a faded legend, and we'll use part of his name to boost the rising stock of this upcoming guy. That seems to be the play here. And that seems to be, you know, this is a game where I always try to tell people this. This is a sport where we feed our elderly to our young. That is what we do. It is a gross process, and it is an awful process, and it is a hard process to work, but it is part of the process. Um, if you're George St. Pierre, you avoid that. But most legends get fed. They get fed to the young, and the young tear them limb from limb. That's kind of how it goes, and it is a gross thing to witness, but it has its value. And if it didn't have its value, it wouldn't exist. So... Um, that's what I think is happening here. But I was one of these guys who didn't hate the Seaver fight. And I guess I wasn't thinking it all the way through, but like my general thought process was, okay, if he loses, we know for sure he doesn't belong. And if he wins, at least we don't have to bother with the idea that he belongs in the rankings system, right? Seaver was sort of so far out of that criteria, or maybe he was, I mean, maybe he was top 15 or something, but I don't think he was at the time. Um, you know, Penn gets this fight back and he'll probably look, you know, mediocre, and we just won't have the real contendership queue disrupted. You do run the risk here of Penn potentially being able to claim if he beats Rodriguez that he's top 10 at featherweight, which is sort of a weird, bizarre thought. And I guess if he goes in there and beats him handily, then maybe he'll have earned it. But you also get the other possibility, which is the greater reward, that if Rodriguez smokes him, uh, I think which many expect he will, that... um, um, his his stock will be boosted. I have to say, I, I I think Rodriguez will win that one. I really wouldn't bet against him, but there's a part of me that feels like maybe BJ's got one last surprise for us. I don't know. He looked awful in that last Edgar fight, and that was a, what two years ago more. Um, when was that last Edgar fight? I think it was two years ago, if I'm not mistaken. Get this the other day. That was, yeah, July of 2014, so over two years ago. Um, can you imagine if he wins? It would be madness. Madness. BJ Penn, top 10 featherweight at 37 years old. Tries to go for another title shot. I don't think he'd get it, but you get the idea. But we'll see. I mean, he just looked so languid and confused in his last performance that Perhaps this is not the most relevant consideration. Um, and versus Sanchez, too. Why aren't they making that fight? Because uh, Diego doesn't want to go down to 145 anymore. He told me that. Uh, Luke, I know you are not interested in what the Ultimate Fighter show has to offer, but if you're not watching season 24, you are missing out. I started out watching it, and I just naturally stopped, although it is recording on the DVR. I would like to hear you guys talk about the fighters on that show sometime, especially Eric Shelton. He is a right-handed, 125-pound McGregor-type fighter. He is doing very well on the show, and I would say somebody to watch closely. 
Okay, um, I'll let that stand. I don't have much of a comment on it. I can't speak. I haven't seen a whole lot of them to really give you an accurate comment, but there you go. Uh, someone says, speaking of a McGregor-type fighter, what are your thoughts on McGregor's style versus Cruz's? In Connor's first seven fights before the Diaz fight, he took 118 strikes and had one decision. In Cruz's seven fights from Benavidez to WEC 42 through Mizugaki, he took 238 strikes and had one finish. Some people say that Cruz has the best style, but in the same number of fights, he took almost twice as much damage. Your thoughts? Well, the question would also be how much fighting time was involved. It wouldn't be seven fights. How much time was in one seven fights versus time in the other seven fights? Um, he probably took a lot more because his go a, a lot of the distance. So let's see. Benavidez, WC 42. So let's see. Let's do a little napkin math, shall we? I'm going to cruise. So from WEC 42, he had Brian Bowles, that went two full rounds. Then he had Benavidez, that went five rounds. Then he had Jorgensen, that went five rounds. Then he went Faber, that went five rounds. Then he had Demetrius Johnson, that went five rounds. Then he had Mizugaki, that went one round. Then he had Dillashaw, that went five rounds. And then he had Faber, that went five rounds. Now let's look at Conor McGregor. It's a lot of rounds. Um, let's see. Conor McGregor. In the last seven fights, right? Is that what we're looking at? Connor's first seven fights before the Diaz fight. All right. Before the Diaz fight. Well, I mean, these didn't take place in the UFC, but let's just look at his UFC fights. His last seven. So two rounds, five rounds, two rounds, one round, two rounds, two rounds, one round. He's only had one three-round fight. He's had one five-round fight, um, both of which he won. So he's just having less time in the cage. In fact, let's go to fight metric. Let's do um, – let's see. Connor McGregor. Let's see old Connie. So strikes absorbed per minute, four and a half. Now, let's see where old Dom is. Shall we? I'm going to cruise. Whatever this is worth. Strikes absorbed per minute, 2.9. So, according to fight metric, if we're actually going per minute, he takes less than half of what Connor takes. It's just that he has many more minutes. So, aggregately, it looks like a whole lot more. Plus, we don't know what those strikes really mean, how much of those are big. Now, look. Um, who has a better chin? Conor McGregor. Given the weight disparity, who's going to take a better shot? Conor McGregor. Who delivers a better shot? Conor McGregor. Um, okay, fair enough. I mean, the weight and size would be a pretty tremendous uh, improvement over him. But Dominic Cruz, we talked about those guys, like mentally, who's going to beat Conor up here? Don, I, don't know, I don't know that Dominic Cruz is that guy, but mentally, I know he can match him here. Dominic Cruz is unflappable up there. So I, I would like it on those terms. But just to do a little bit of napkin math, maybe I'm missing something here. Uh, yeah, he only he takes much less. Strikes landed per minute for Dominic Cruz, three and a half. Strikes landed per minute. Now Connor's better here, 5.8. So he delivers a more a striking accuracy of 47% and striking accuracy for Cruz of only 30, 31%. So Cruz, I think the movement kind of saves him a little bit. I don't think he takes a ton of punishing shots, but he doesn't deliver as many either, which is why these fights tend to go long, right? He's not really putting the offense on guys. Connor is. 
what should, excuse me, who should Musasi face next? The Whitaker Brunson winner, Rockhold when he returns from injury, or someone else? Man, this is tough. So I guess Romero is going to be the top guy. I don't, Rockhold stating he's going to be back in the, what, the first quarter of the new year. I would like to see Musasi face Jacare for a third time. And I know you're like, oh, that's, who wants to see that? I guess you, if you want to wait, you can wait. If they're going to give Rockhold to Jacare, then yes, the Brunson winner seems like a good one to me. Um, let me go look at the rankings here. I know those are not ironclad. I'm just want to see who's in the orbiting space there. So here's your top 10. Tim Kennedy, Vitor Belfort, Derek Brunson, Robert Whitaker, Anderson Silva, Gagard, Musasi. So maybe they could do Anderson Silva. If it's not that, then definitely the winner of Whitaker Brunson. You know, but that's a bit of a step down because Musasi is at five already. Musasi's in that top five. Um, I like to see him sort of get that, you know. Um, but it's a tough spot to be in if he wants to stay active, you know. Or Tim Kennedy, if they can't get the Rashad Evans fight to happen, I would I'd be in favor of that too. Um, we'll see. How would you rate Chandler's chances of capturing UFC gold? I mean, ultimately, I think he takes a little bit too much damage to beat the very best guys over there. Um, but as you can see, he's quite competitive. And if he went on a nice run, he can beat, I think, any of those guys on a, on a good day. Michael Chandler can beat any of those guys. I don't know that he would be good enough to capture and hold it or even capture it because um, he does have some deficiencies. He wears damage poorly. He doesn't necessarily have – his defense has gotten better, but it's not – his strong suit is his offense, not his defense. Um, but he can wrestle his ass off, and he's strong as an ox, and he throws with reckless – not reckless abandon, but he throws with authority. And he he puts the pedal to the metal. He burns all of his energy through the course of that fight, which, are, which is why a lot of fighters like him. But he's good, man. He's good. I hope folks finally realize that after the Benson Henderson win, because as I said before, this was not the Benson who showed up against Koreshkov, and this was not the Benson who showed up against Patricio Freire. Um, Patricio Freire. This is a guy who looked tremendous, um, especially in that fifth round. He was putting it on Michael Chandler a little bit there. So um, it, it seems to me like he thrives off of an action fighter, Benson Henderson. Like to get Benson Henderson to be who he is, he needs an action fighter. If you're patient and careful with your offense, he sort of is too, and in a lesser way. Um, but if you get a guy who goes up there and like Michael Chandler puts the foot to the, uh, the old gas pedal, you can get something kind of special out of Benson Henderson. He seems to thrive off that effect. Uh, wasn't enough in this particular case, but, um, Michael Chandler can fight his ass off. He's very, very good. And of course, of course, now that he beat Benson Henderson, what does everyone want to say? I wish there was USADA and Bellator. <laughs> right. The guy can't win unless he's on steroids, right? Right. Yeah, this is a good one. This is a great question, and I don't really have a good answer for it, unfortunately, but let's sort of work through it if we can. Pound for pound number one. Great question from Lucas Stenson here. Good job, Lucas. Uh, pound for pound lists are controversial from time to time, and the vast majority of hardcore MMA fans, including myself, don't tend to really care about them. Fair enough. However, what takes the top spot? DJ's continuous title defense streak closing in on the longest title defense streak in UFC history, plus never getting defeated in the UFC, or McGregor's feat of holding two titles consecutively, finishing both the champions via finish, however, not defending the title yet. Personally, I go with DJ. I do as well, but I think this is, if there's one benefit to what McGregor is doing, it's going to tell us what the answer to that is. 
So I kind of like this. You know, before we had we had BJ Penn, we had Randy Couture, and they held two titles in two different weight classes, and and that was an incredible feat, and, and will always remain one. I mean, just winning a title is an incredible feat, much less doing it in two different weight classes. But, um, you know, Penn kind of did the jump around thing a little bit before in a much looser way, a less constructed way, and a less serious way. So I don't want to compare BJ Penn jumping around to what Conor McGregor did. They're not exactly the same. In fact, there's many, many differences between them. But suffice to say, you know, when you're out there fighting Rodrigo, um, let me see the different. Let me look, let me read for you this one BJ Penn string of fights he had. You know, folks, because folks forget he did this, and this was in a different era. And I get all that. There's a lot of differences, but let's just sort of go through this here for just a second. So he fought Matt Hughes, and it, God, Jesus, it's, he fought Matt Hughes January 31st of 2004. That means when he fights Rodriguez, it'll be roughly 13 years after choking out Matthews. That is crazy. Okay, he made his middleweight debut against uh, Rodrigo Gracie. Then he faced Machida at 191. Then he went back to middleweight against Henzo. Then he went back to welterweight against George. Then he went to welterweight again with Matthews. Then he went to lightweight. Then he stayed at lightweight. Then he stayed at lightweight. Then he went back to welterweight. Then he went back to lightweight, back to lightweight. Then he went to lightweight, lightweight, then back to welterweight, then back to welterweight again two more times, and then featherweight in his last one. So he's fought as high as 191 and all the way down to um, featherweight. Again, this is very much not the same thing that Conor McGregor is doing, but um, I wonder what it says that he the, the guys who jump weight classes, like if you're willing to go and try these things in other weight classes, um, you might have a surprising degree of success. Like no one thought that Randy Couture was just going to be able to go in there and beat Tim Sylvia. And sure enough, he went and he did, and he helped solidify his uh, Hall of Fame resume as a consequence. Um, but then when he tried to defend his title, he simply couldn't, right? I, 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 I know like what he did, Conor McGregor at 205 was extraordinarily impressive. My God, he made Eddie Alvarez look like an amateur. You know, I remember doing radio interviews in that Friday, the Thursday and Friday leading up to it with various um, different media outlets. And they were like, how good is Eddie Alvarez? And I, I don't feel foolish for saying it because I firmly believe it all. I was like, man, Eddie Alvarez is good. He's really good. But if you didn't know anything about Eddie Alvarez and you just saw that Conor McGregor fight, you'd be like, what? How good? <laughs> Eddie Alvarez is terrible, but he's not. Like he's, Eddie Alvarez is an all-time great lightweight, you know? Um, but I, I just fundamentally feel like how many really good fighters have you seen take a title and try to defend it for a very long time and have success with it. Very few. And we've seen Conor McGregor at his best, and we've seen Conor McGregor at his not so best. But I still feel like there's a little bit of mystery with Conor McGregor. I can't believe I'm saying that this far into his career. But just a little bit. He's obviously a lot better than a lot of folks want to admit. Um, and I've been relatively skeptical throughout, although you know, not for not before 205, at least not, not much. Um, and I thought he was going to win the first Diaz fight too. So take that for what it's worth. But I definitely like his chances. Like you, you, someone told me, do you like his chances to beat Habib? Sure. To beat Tony Ferguson? Yep. To beat Max Holloway? Sure. To beat Jose Aldo? Yep. But the act of doing it, of these guys coming in there and surprising you, and I mentioned it before, to me, and I, I, I put a video up on my personal YouTube channel, you know, what went wrong for, for Eddie Alvarez when he fought Conor McGregor? One of the things that went wrong was... Um, you know, I grew up as a fan of, of the Atlanta Braves, and as a kid, um, I was living in Georgia at the time, and, and I lived in the era of John Smoltz, um, Tom Glavin, and Greg Maddox, and Steve Avery, and all those guys, and sometimes those guys would go out there, man, and, you know, 
they're you know these these guys are winning pitching awards, but every once in a while they would just go out there and just get bombed on by the Mets or whoever, and um, then they'd come back you know the next rotation and be fine. It's just like you have an off night, and I feel like Eddie had an off night, but that's going to be pretty rare. Like yeah, okay, um, Eddie had an off night, and uh, Jose wasn't himself necessarily, and those that's partly the credit of Conor McGregor. Let's be honest, I'm not taking that away from him at all. But there are going to be guys that that's not going to happen to, right? Sometimes these guys, and I mentioned it, like fighting Conor McGregor is like MMA's game seven. You have to treat this like if you don't do everything in your power either to win or to show you can get back there again, um, it's this opportunity is never going to come back again. I don't think it's ever going to come back for Eddie Alvarez unless he fills in on short notice or something. Um, that was his high water mark, and I'm you know, and he knows he blew it, and I, and I hate to say it, but it's true. But the point being is. There's going to be the opposite of that. There's going to be guys that you just don't imagine have much of a chance. Let's say you don't. Let's say you respect Max Holloway, but you don't think he's a, has a chance. I'm telling you, Max Holloway is that guy who is going to treat this like it is his game seven. That this is his one shot to prove you guys do not understand who I am, and I'm going to go out there and show you. Just like Conor McGregor went out there and showed a lot of other skeptics, he was a lot better than a lot of folks thought. I think even some of Conor McGregor's supporters at this point have to be surprised at some of the heights he's reached. Maybe you thought he could do it all along. Did you think he'd make it look this easy at times, even with a year where he lost against Nate Diaz? You know, um, Someone is going to show up when you don't expect it, and they're going to put a beating on him. It is inevitable. It has happened to everyone. It has happened to Connor himself. It has happened to Anderson. It has happened to George St. Pierre. It has happened to Fedor. It has happened to you name it. You name Cain Velasquez. Who have, pick, pick any fighter you like that's really good. It's going to happen. I'm not saying it's going to happen that Connor will lose inevitably, although I think he'll lose at least one more time in his career, if not more, which is fine. Everyone does. I'm just sort of trying to say, I think taking that belt and saying, you next, you next, you next. That's hard, man. That is very, very hard because one of those guys is going to show up in ways that you did not expect. They're going to do things you didn't expect. They're going to be someone you didn't expect. And there's going to be a result you didn't expect. And trying to be the guy where that doesn't happen, where you can stop all that from happening, man, that's tough. That's tough. So we're going to find out. Maybe that's wrong. Maybe it is what Conor McGregor's doing, where he's showing he can just be successful in all these different ways and these new models that we didn't appreciate. And if that's the case, then we have to really reshape our thinking about things. And maybe he deserves to be top pound for pound if that's the case. But we need to see that first. I need to see him get out there and start defending this title to go back to 145. If that's a a goal of his to defend that belt. And until such time, I don't I don't know I don't I don't know that I have enough evidence to challenge the claim that um, defending that belt over and over again is, is, is there's anything harder than that. Texans versus Raiders and the refs. Luke, what did, did you watch Monday Night Football game last night? F no, I didn't watch that game. Why would I watch Texans versus Raiders? Tell you what I did watch. I watched my man Kirk Cousins throw for what? 375 yards on Sunday Night Football all over the Green Bay Packers. Ooh-wee. Yes, I did see that. Hashtag you like that. If so, how did you feel about the officiating? I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but that whole game felt fishy from the refereeing perspective. Don't know. Didn't watch. Um, let's see. Uh, good question. Let me clarify here for just a second. Someone says, I was watching the podcast. I think they meant last week. 
And when speaking about who deserved a title shot at 145 versus Connor, you quickly dismissed Max Holloway as deserving of the title shot. I want to fully understand if you felt that way because of the current state of the division or because you do not think he's actually deserving the title shot. More, Much more the former, not the latter. If they gave him one, I really wouldn't complain. But here's the problem. You've got Jose Aldo, who, while inactive, is the interim champion. And Max Holloway has a fight against Anthony Pettis, which is a tough challenge. But let's assume for just a second that um, Pettis gets, or sorry, uh, Holloway gets through that Pettis fight. Let's say he knocks Pettis out in the second round or something, something amazing, right? Where would that put him? To me, that would put him in a position where if they gave him a title shot, even over Aldo, who's dormant and will only fight, you know, uh, McGregor, I, I wouldn't be upset with that at all, to be honest. You know, the guy who's active, who wants to get after it, who had, you know, um, he didn't necessarily have a strong showing against McGregor the first time, but he didn't look like hopelessly outmatched. And I know McGregor had an injury through the fight, a devastating one, which is a credit to how awesome McGregor is. But I'm just saying this is a different Max Holloway. I think we can all agree. Maybe you don't think it's different enough to matter in the end, but it's a different one. And this is the whole part about cleaning out a division. You don't have to beat the guy just once. If a guy is good enough, you'll see him again because he'll come right back through. He'll beat all the other contenders all the way back up again. Um, and that's what Max Holloway is on the verge of doing. So, no, it's not that I don't think Max Holloway is a talented guy who uh, wouldn't be deserving, especially if he gets by Pettis. I just feel like the current situation where he has this fight in front of him that he has to win, and you've got a literal interim champion there, it doesn't make a lot of sense necessarily to give that guy a title shot at this juncture. But, you know, I think a fight that needs to happen is Max Holloway versus Conor McGregor too. Now, if he doesn't have interest in going back to Featherweight, okay, no problem. But if Featherweight is this thing that he wants, this belt he wants to hold on to from... If it's just decoration, then then okay, who cares? But if it's not decoration, and he really means it, and he really wants to defend it, I don't care if you're a Conor McGregor fan, if you're not a Conor McGregor fan, how do you not want to see Max Holloway versus Conor McGregor too? Max Holloway is hard to hurt, he is hard to hit now, and he makes adjustments all the time in fights. Not sure how you don't like that. Not sure how you don't like that. A guy who can make adjustments in fights, we have talked about a lot. That is a scary, scary guy. Not so much in I'll bludgeon you Derek Lewis style, but in like, I've got your number. I just need just enough time to figure it out. Um, to me, that's a very compelling fight. And especially if he gets by Pettis. And, uh, you know, if he doesn't get by Pettis, okay, then he's got his own troubles. But uh, if he does, you know, look out. Uh, good question. MVP's performance or lack thereof. Luke, how did you feel about Michael Page's performance on Saturday? Just a bad style matchup, bad day at the office or something else. Look, maybe he didn't feel like himself. I don't know. But I really object to that whole idea that, um, you know, it's my opponent's fault. Look, if your opponent is doing something like Caleb Starnes versus Nate Quarry, where he's literally running away, and I can't, I can't move my arms through. You guys remember this? Where you put your hand in front of your face and like you do that thing where it was like, oh, if your hand's bigger than your face, you have cancer and they hit you in the face. But not even that one. But like where you put your arm through. Let's see if I can do it. My arms are too big. I can't I can't quite reach, but you get the idea. Um I feel like infinite elgin intensity. Um anyway, um if they're running from you, if they're truly avoiding the fight to the point where a referee could warn them or take a point. Okay, fine, right? I understand that. And it's true, Fernando Gonzalez wasn't necessarily throwing a lot. But Fernando Gonzalez was standing in front of him for large portions of that fight. There was room to hit him there. Can you imagine someone like Conor McGregor being like, the fight was bad because of him, and it was a stand-up affair, not like one where he got taken to the ground and just held down or something. Can you imagine that? 
I mean, forget the melee that would ensue. Just the notion, like, like so you can't even fathom that. You can't even fathom that because it's ludicrous. Like there were, if Fernando was running from you and wasn't in front of you or was just trying to lay on you or press you against the cage, fine. He was standing right in front of him for huge portions of that fight. No, he wasn't all that active. Okay, some blame can be assigned to Fernando Gonzalez. Fair enough. Not much. Not much. Um, that that really, the onus there falls on both those guys, but it falls much more on MVP, especially since he's the better fighter and he had opportunities to strike a guy who wasn't doing a ton of movement. So, no, I don't really buy that. You know, I mean, I buy it a little bit, but not much. You know, if this guy's going to be a next-level talent, next-level talents can't say things like that unless the guy truly was egregious. And I don't think Fernando Gonzalez was. All right, it is 2.15. Let us go to the Twitter machine. I don't know how many we have today, but let's see. Your argument about Connor's greatness makes Jones's run even greater. He's had an amazing run for the most part, right? I'm not sure how true that is, but we'll see. True or false, 24-year-old Kevin Lee will fight for the UFC 155 title one day. He might, man. I thought that fight, well, if you ask me what was the best fight over the weekend in terms of two guys matching up, now one guy got overwhelmed in the end. Maybe you think the five-round fight between Chandler and Benson's the answer, maybe, and maybe it is, but if it's not, number, or you know, or maybe it is, but number 1A, or you know, if, if that's 1A, Chandler Benson's 1A, 1B is, in my judgment, is going to be Kevin Lee versus Mega Ben Mustafayev. Uh, I love that fight, and I love how Kevin Lee took damage and worked through it and just showed who the superior grappler was. I, I I just have so many nice things to say about Kevin Lee after that fight. You know, he fell a little short against Leonardo Santos. He admitted to me, Kevin Lee did, that he just didn't take him seriously. He thought he was going to go in and just box him up. Not that he didn't train, but, like, he just didn't think on the feet he had anything for him, and he paid for it, and he knows he paid for it. And his rebound performance, I think, was okay, but this, to me, showed he is getting better and better and better. Kevin Lee had a very strong performance against a guy who was a brutal striker, um, and he just showed technically on the floor, you have nothing for me, and overwhelmed him in the end. I was I was very impressed by Kevin Lee. So big shots to Kevin Lee. Um, let's see, there's the Detroit superstar. What is what's, oh, the Motown phenom, right? Have you seen Ward versus Kovalev yet? If so, who do you think won? I have not. I still have not seen it yet. I've been busy, man. Um, for BJ's safety, if he fights again, his hands were in an awkward position last fight, and he was like a Duracell bunny. You asked me like a question. I don't know if the answer to that. So it says, here is the people who deserve, here are the people who deserve a title shot from Connor in order. This is this person talking, not me. Habib, Jose, Tony, Nate. Holloway needs to wait his turn. I don't know how on earth you can think Nate deserves a title shot. Love Nate. He doesn't deserve anything. Someone goes, there are donks that would prefer the Whopper to the filet. Right, but we don't have to. We can just ignore them because they're donks. Uh, how much drama goes on behind the scenes in MMA that media members like you know about but can't release? Tons. Let me tell you something. You could have, <laughs> if the things that went on off the record that we're not, that we we have sworn not to talk about, were an industry, 
you could have an entirely new MMA media. You understand what I'm saying? Like you could have a new set of sites, a completely set, like an all, you could have like, what, what we're able to talk about is like Marvel Universe. There's DC Comics that we haven't even got a chance to talk about yet. It's that big. I firmly believe that. There is so much stuff that doesn't get through. You can't believe it. Um, I'd rather see two old lions, BJ versus Vitor. What? Vitor is at 185 pounds. True, false. Last few fights, Joanna's been fighting like Aldo, not going for the finish because she's already winning in a head. False. I think she's had tougher foes or people who could stand up to her a little bit better than a couple of grapplers. Fedor Sweater. Who doesn't love it? True or false? Last few fights. Oh, yeah, there we go. Who is the greatest of all time at each weight class? It's too big of a question. Mitrion starches, Fedor. Very possible. Very possible. Or this could go a little bit Tim Sylvia-like where he just gets overwhelmed like he did in Affliction. How long before WME drives the hardcore fans from coming to their top events because increased ticket prices? Um, not, not anytime soon, but it's something to keep in mind as we go forward, especially if like, you know, there's like, you know, to continuing to book the CM punks of the world on UFC shows on big UFC shows. Do you agree with Habib that the UFC is protecting Connor from certain fighters? No. If rumble loses, does he move to heavyweight? Possibly. Ah, here's BJM uh, talking about Evinger's foot on the face. Yes, it is legal as long as there is no strike involved while placing the foot on the head. See? There you go. Bad instructions from the referee. Hey, Luke, at this point, BJ Penn versus CM Punk would make as much sense as anything else. Um, only if you want CM Punk to die. BJ Penn would tear him limb from limb. Even a faded BJ Penn would tear him absolutely limb from limb, even with the weight disparity. That would be an ugly, ugly mauling. I, I, I can't, I mean, I guess after that, okay, you guys apparently have a death wish for him. I don't know who they're going to book against him, but if it's anyone even close to like Mickey Gall's level, you guys have a death, death wish for CM Punk. Uh, how should the UFC get more high potential light heavyweight and heavyweight fighters in the mix since the rosters are so shallow? Um, a lot more money and better recruitment early into some kind of amateur system because that's what football is doing, essentially. What's your Mount Rushmore of annoying gym habits? Um, okay, number one, curling in the squ squat rack. Number two, um, using a belt when you don't need it. Like guys who have, I saw a guy on a peck deck machine the other day. Peck deck is where you sit down back against the wall and you bring your hands together. First of all, you should always do it one-handed, never with two hands, but neither here nor there. Um, he had a belt on. I was like, dude, what is it you think your belt is doing for you exactly? Do you know what a belt is for? Do you guys know what a belt is for? A belt is for in conjunction with your breathing, although Chris Duffin might challenge us a little bit, but partly what you're doing is you're giving your abdominal wall something to brace against. That's what that's for. That's what for heavy lifting, squats, deadlifts, that kind of thing. 
<laughs> it's 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 not for a peck deck machine, so that'd be another one. Um, guys who grunt loudly is another one. Don't people who don't re rack their weights with their dumbbells is another one. Uh, guys who walk around naked in the locker room for way too long is another one. Um, trying to think of the stuff I hate. I mostly just tune people out, to be honest. Uh, yeah, just the guys who wear equipment they don't need, you know. Oh, got to be the guys with the quarter squat gang. Okay, either you hit parallel or you hit below parallel, right? Your waistline needs to be lower than your than your knee line or at level with it. Not above, gang. Not above. Okay, so there you go. There's my Mount Rushmore. Uh, wouldn't it have been a wise move from Diaz to fight Habib Tony, helping Connor and picking him ahead of the rest? No, he's in a better position now, even after after the loss, because there's people thinking he's deserving, because he had he's one and one with McGregor. So fighting those guys, who I don't think he could beat either of them. All respect to Coach Kavanaugh. I don't know. I don't agree with that at all. Um, maybe with Tony given the style matchup, but Habib would be a nightmare matchup for him. Um, so no, I don't agree with that at all. Uh, would Mark Hunt be so adamant that the cheaters forfeit their purses? to their opponents if they didn't make 2.5 million. You know, I asked his lawyer this and her basic answer was, well, this was the straw that broke the camel's back, but certainly one can't help but wonder why he wasn't more adamant about this early in his career, especially for a guy who fought in Japan for all that time, knowing full well, all those guys were probably juiced to the gills. Um, but maybe, maybe this is the straw that broke the camel's back. I, I can't answer that one. You know, it's a, I think it's a reasonable suspicion, but it's also reasonable to think that maybe he is tired of it. Who knows? Who knows? Daniel Cormier is right-handed but wrestles with his left leg forward. Uh, is this preferable for MMA wrestling? Well, if he's right-handed and he wrestles with his left leg forward, that he's that he's already in good shape. That you want to be able to do that. Sean Bunch is another guy who can do that. You want to be able to wrestle with your lead leg forward, so you can just shoot. You want to be able to. You want to have your shooting leg in front of you. So if he's lead, left leg forward and he shoots off that leg and he's got a right hand behind him. That means he can throw and engage in the shot right away. So that's a great thing. Um, why do why do the UFC keep flip flopping the caliber of fighter for BJ's return? Needs a tune up fight. Yeah, before it was like Dennis Seaver, then it was like top five Ricardo Lamas, and now it's like just outside the top ten. Yeah, here's Rodriguez. It's like this porridge is too cold. This porridge is too hot. This porridge is just right. I don't know. Maybe that's it. What's up with Don Cerrone's eye? Everyone told me uh, that he's doing it for some thing he's shooting for Netflix. Uh, indefensible scorecards like the one for Bendo. If commissions won't take action, should promoters ban states using those people? Well, considering this took place in California, good luck with that. GSP at a Bellator event. Clever negotiation tactic or real possibility? Give your thoughts. Nope, he was cornering Francis Carmont. I will say, though, that picture of him with Fedor and Rory and Scott Coker was something else, right? You've got Scott Coker, a guy who'd love to poach top UFC talent next to top UFC talent that he, you know, depending on your perspective, poached. Next to the guy that the UFC could never sign, the best fighter to never fight in the UFC, next to the guy who just declared himself a free agent. Um, interesting picture. Leota suspension. Bogus, what in your opinion is keeping fighters from unionizing? Ignorance, apathy, cowardice, what percentage of each? 
I'd say largely ignorance and some apathy and a little bit of cowardice, but mostly just ignorance on what to do. We'll see what happens with the uh, with the uh, Professional Fighters Association. Uh, just a couple more of these. True or false, Connor will host SNL and more celebs like Demi Lovato will fight in the UFC in 2017. You know what? Sure, true. Um, do you think Lawler will ever regain his title again? And if so, why? No, I don't. Um, I was thinking about this today. I really believe that Lawler versus Condit took a major piece out of both of those guys. I don't think they were the same ever again. Look what happened to him. So Condit loses that fight barely, takes this semi-hiatus, comes back and gets absolutely wrecked by Demi and Maya. Wasn't even close. Um, now partly that's understandable. Maybe that doesn't tell you a whole lot, but the fact that he got barely touched and, and had a bad reaction to it, um, you know, sort of was alarming to him. And then you had Robbie Lawler, who after that fight came back and fought Tyron Woodley and lost his title quickly. I don't I don't think either guy was ever the same after that, unfortunately. And that's the consequence of these wars. And there are wars no more serious than that one or, and more devastating than that one. Um, you know, we love them for they're willing to sacrifice on the altar of athletic glory, but there's a cost to be paid. Rico Verhoeven in MMA, how would he match up with the top 10 fighters he's trained, a.k.a.? We don't know enough about his ground game, but obviously his stand-up is pretty tremendous. Um, I find Kane Verdum more exciting than anything else right now, to be honest. Who you got? Uh, I kind of like Kane's chances. We'll see. Um, yeah, I kind of like Kane to... I, at first, I wasn't feeling this way, but I feel like Verdum has been... I don't know not himself or getting older or however you want to put it. I didn't, I didn't feel like he's just, he's been performing up to his potential. Who do you think has the best chance of beating mighty mouse in his weight class? Benavidez, I guess. Um, since what's his face had two tries and moved up Dotson to bantamweight, but not a lot of people. Let's see. There's a bunch more of these. Dan Henderson's H bomb versus Conor McGregor's left. If you could have, Either way, which one do you take? I would take the left because not only is it powerful, it's precise and efficient and clean. The H-bomb is kind of this thing you got to launch from the middle of outer space, you know? Um, but both are pretty formidable, right? Here we go. Last one. Luke Thomas's Thanksgiving feast. Luke, if you could pick your top five Thanksgiving dishes to have at a feast, which ones do you choose and which Thanksgiving dishes would you avoid at all costs? Oh, and who wins Thursday? Redskins or Cowboys? First of all, my skins are going to win, although I have to admit the Cowboys are playing quite well, but I'm going to root for the home team because that's the kind of guy I am. Uh, second of all, I am very, very lucky. My family is in the restaurant business, and um, they don't, they're don't they not chefs anymore, but they have been, and they cook really, really well. So here's what I would say. I feel sorry for everyone who has to go to a house and pretend to like the dry turkey that they're going to serve you that they baked in the oven. In the Thomas household, we fry our turkeys like champions because that's what champions do. They fry turkeys. There's a way to do it correctly. People will tell you, don't fry your turkey. It'll burn your house down. If you're a class A moron, perhaps, but if you follow instructions like a normal person and you follow through like you're supposed to, they're actually quite easy to do and they turn into a delicious turkey. So we have fried turkey at our house and it's unbelievable. Second, I would say my sister, uh, who's part of the restaurant business, she makes an oyster stew that is um, divine. Um, there is a mac and cheese that my family also makes that has 
I hate to say this, uh, a little bit of, sometimes they put lobster in it, which is pretty good, but it's only individual dishes. Uh, my brother's wife uh, makes incredible pastries, although she's not part of the restaurant business. She just makes good pastries. So, of course, pumpkin pie. Um, I think cranberry, that cranberry jam people make is trifling. And if you ever go to someone's house, you should take it and throw it in the garbage in front of their face and then give them the finger. So that's disgusting. Um, what else do I like to eat at Thanksgiving? Obviously, some kind of stuffing or gravy is pretty essential depending on how people make it again that should also be inside the turkey um, um well you can't do it in the case of it being fried but there's other ways to get around it um what else do i like um I'm trying to think of like thanksgiving essentials we had the mac and cheese uh we had some greens on that plate right um how about um a spinach and cheese quiche um not too hard to make Here's what I like about Thanksgiving. You can be like, look, dude, you make a quiche. You got lobster, mac and cheese. We don't spend any money on, on Christmas in my house. Very little. I mean, I'll spend some with my, my wife and stuff like that. But in my family, family, we don't do that because Christmas is, is insane. We have to spend a ton of money on people and you're just buying them things. What we like to do is save that money and use it for Thanksgiving because on Thanksgiving, we believe you should make things for people. And yeah, you might save up a little bit over the year, put a little bit extra get some lobster for the mac and cheese, get some nice cheese to put in there. You know, not just anything uh, you can buy at uh, the old regular grocery store, put a little effort into it. Right. And then you share that with everyone. So that to me is the way to spend money each year, not to blow a thousand dollars or even more on Christmas. It's to take things, put much a fraction of that and then put it into um, uh, making something for your family. That's what we believe. Uh, I will have, of course, a thousand Irish coffees and uh, Jim Beam and diets. I love the rock gut stuff for beer. I recommend as a uh, Thanksgiving beer, Pum King, P-U-M-K-I-N-G, all one word. That's a great beer to have. And uh, there you go. All right, guys. Until next time, uh, thank you so much for watching. I'm sorry we had to do this on a Tuesday. I appreciate you guys tuning in. Please give it a thumbs up. Share it. Do not drink and drive over Thanksgiving. Be safe and have a good time. And until next time, ladies and gentlemen, uh, stay frosty.